Welcome to the Riverwood Chapel podcast. We're so excited you're here. Please check out our other content and video uploads at riverwoodchapel.org. Thank you. Well, good morning. I'm so glad you are here and we gather together to worship, but also to hear from God's word. Now, I know in this busy summer, many of us are traveling, taking road trips, and it's always hard because you're always trying to pass time on long road trips. And so what I am going to provide for you is guaranteed to give you, I call this the 100-mile guarantee. You're going to get 100 miles on the road by playing this game. This is called the what-if game. What if? And it is endless because you could ask a lot of what-if questions. And a lot of times they're fun questions and they expand our thinking and, and, uh, and ideas. And so I'm going to ask the what-if question. You can take note if you want. But what if you could dispense a liquid from your finger other than water that would never end? What liquid would you choose? Anyone? Anyone have the answer to that? Chocolate syrup. Chocolate syrup. <laughs> What's that? Liquid gold. Liquid gold. I don't know about that one. <laughs> Last hour, someone said diet Dr Pepper. Someone said gasoline. <laughs> right? Very practical answers. You see, you go many, many miles asking that question. All right. How about this one? If you could talk to animals, what animals would you talk to, and what would you say to them? Cats. Cats? What would you say to cats? Everything. <laughs> Everything. <laughs> Share your life with the cats, right? Anybody else would talk to an animal, go to the zoo, talk to animals? Someone said, I'd talk to my dog and say, no, you're not that hungry. <laughs> no, how about this question? Uh, what if you found a money tree deep in the woods? What would be the first thing you would do? Not tell anyone. Not tell anyone. Good. Someone said, build a fence. Someone said, take uh, this one off and maybe see if it grows back. I don't know. There's lots of answers to the question of what if. Now, what if can you spend a lot of time laughing about what ifs, but what ifs can also be a lot more serious. How about this what if question? What if you could relive your life? What would you do differently? What would you do differently in your life? What decisions would you go back and, and change? What would you go and maybe do the same? See, there's a lot of even more serious what if questions. And then there's the whole realm of Theological what-if questions. What if Adam and Eve had never sinned in the garden? What would life look like now? And on and on you can go. But let me give you another what-if question that we're going to ponder this morning. What if the only three characteristics of God were love, mercy, and grace? What if those were the only three characteristics of God? What would life look like? And some people out there are thinking, that'd be wonderful. Isn't that who God is? Love, grace, mercy. What, I mean, what else is there? The God who welcomes. The God who pats you on the back. The God who says, that's wonderful. That's great. You're doing great. Is that the kind of God that we want to worship? Is that who our God is? 
Kind of like this big teddy bear who just gives hugs. Love, grace, mercy. What else is there? Oh, wait a second. We don't want a God who gets angry. We don't want a God who has vengeance, wrath. No, we don't want that. Or do we? That is exactly the question we're going to look at this morning. Who is God? And the, the what if question of the morning is this. What if Nahum, the prophet, is right? What does it mean for us? But what does that mean if he's right? This little, tiny book in the Old Testament. What if he's right? And at this point you're saying, Nahum, who's that? This is a book of the Bible? I never knew. What's in it? Don't feel bad. Most people don't. It's okay. You're amongst friends. We're going to examine this together. And we're going to see what does Nahum, this little tiny prophet in the Old Testament, have to teach us this morning. So if you have your Bible, um, we'll spend some time to see what we find it, look at the beginning, see what page it's on. That's okay. Uh, we're going to examine uh, this, his word, God's word together. And so we're going to begin in Nahum, verse 1, right from the very beginning. And on the timeline, you know, we have these bookmarks, they have timelines, just so we all kind of get a reference point. Uh, you have the northern, you have the split kingdom of Israel and Judah, and Nahum falls in the, after Israel had been destroyed, and uh, Judah is still around, Nahum, the southern kingdom, and he's still there saying words, speaking, preaching to that southern kingdom. And some other people as well. So let's um, let's open up to the very first verse, and it, this is what it says. God's word says this: an oracle concerning Nineveh, the book of the vision of Nahum of Elkosh. Now, many times the prophets are those who are just speaking, but we see something interesting here. This is actually a book. Did you notice it says the book of the vision? And for those who are Hebrew experts, they can tell you all about how this is very well put together. This isn't just off-the-cuff, off-the-cuff, extemporaneous speaking. This has been written well. And you even heard from the video. There's an alphabeticalness to it. It's very neat that way. And so this is a, a book concerning Nineveh. All right, Nineveh, 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 which is very interesting because we already had a prophet who, was, who has had kind of interactions with Nineveh. Let me give you a reminder. It was a prophet who was running away. Remember, he was going down, down, down to the depths of the ocean, running away. He, too, had words for Nineveh. And on the count of three, we're all going to say his name together. One, two, three. Jonah. Jonah, yes. Jonah. And Jonah had interactions with Nineveh, but you remember his interactions were much different. I'll show you a verse from Jonah. This is his. He was actually angry at God. Why? It displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he, and he basically said to the Lord, Oh Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I need haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew, I knew you were a God of grace and mercy 
and slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, relenting from disaster. And that is why I'm upset, because I know that's who you are, a God of love and mercy and grace. I knew you were like that. Now, that is who God is. Now, fast forward a hundred years on the timeline. From the time of Jonah to the time now of Nahum. Nahum is the sequel. This is the sequel to Jonah. The next part of the story. And Nahum has something else to say to the Ninevites and to those who were in the southern kingdom of Judah. And so let's keep reading. What else is he going to say? What else do they need to hear? Verse 2. The Lord is a jealous and avenging God. The Lord is avenging and wrathful. The Lord takes vengeance on his adversaries and keeps wrath for his enemies. The Lord is slow to anger and great in power. And the Lord will by no means clear the guilty. His way is in the whirlwind and storm, and the clouds are the dust of his feet. He rebukes the sea and makes it dry. He dries up all the rivers. Bashan and Carmel wither. The bloom of Lebanon withers. The mountains quake before him. The hills melt. The earth heaves before him. The world and all who dwell in it. Who can stand before his indignation? Who can endure the heat of his anger? His wrath is poured out like fire. And the rocks are broken into pieces by him. The Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble. He knows those who take refuge in him, but with an overflowing flood, he will make a complete end of the adversaries, and he will pursue his enemies into darkness. What do you plot against the Lord? He will make a complete end. Trouble will not rise up a second time. Is this the same Yahweh? Wait a second. Is this the same Yahweh we heard about in Jonah? The one who's about grace and mercy and love? It is. Except now Nahum is telling us that there's, there's more to the picture, the fuller picture of who God is. He's not just those three words. And in the immediate context, what was happening is that God did show grace and mercy to the Ninevites, the nation of Assyria, and they did flourish for a moment. But then that moment was short-lived, maybe even just one generation. And then they went back to their old ways, their old ways uh, against Yahweh, doing the things that they wanted, torturing and pillaging and doing the things that pleased them. And so they would now threaten to do the same thing to the southern kingdom of Judah as they did to the northern kingdom of Israel. We come in, and we torture and kill, and then we move our people into your territory, and that's what we do. And so the words of Nahum, the prophet, are written as verse 1 tells us in this book, but what does Nahum tell us about who God is? There are really six words that you need to know 
who God is. And we're going to walk through them slowly, and so you can kind of see them in the context and what they mean. And so six words. And so Nahum tells us this is who God is. Back to verse 2. The first word that describes who he is is this. And this might be a surprise to some who are, who are watching, who are here. But Nahum said that our God is jealous. He's jealous. Wait a second. When we hear that word, we think of, I'm jealous uh, about your cat. I'm jealous that I don't have your job. I'm jealous about your car. I, am je- I don't have what you have. I am jealous. But that's not what's going on here. There's a different definition to the jealousy that God has. It's best kind of examined in, in Exodus. Going all the way back to Exodus, this is what it says. For you shall worship no other God, for the Lord whose name is Jealous. He is a jealous God. All right, his, his, back in Exodus, it says his very name is jealous, this Yahweh. And so a good definition, and it comes from a professor I had in seminary, and uh, this is how he defines jealousy. But God's jealousy means that God continually seeks to protect his own honor. He's protecting his honor. And so this is the kind of jealousy where there will be no competition, no competitors. There is nothing that is going to compete for his glory, his honor. That is at the top. He is jealous. And it's the kind of jealousy that should exhibit in marriage. I have a jealousy for my wife. There is, there is no competition. All others I put aside. I am jealous for her and her alone. See, that's the definition of jealousy. Our God is, is jealous. He has a relationship with his people. And his people will give him honor and all right, so added to that first word of jealousy is the second word, that he is also, and this word is repeated over and over again, he is avenging. He's avenging. The Lord is avenging. Anybody's brain go to this? The Avengers, fighting foes that no single superhero could withstand. It's interesting, when you watch the movies, you are drawn into the narrative of good and evil. Thanos has his own agenda. He will do whatever it takes. But the Avengers are there. And you want them to win. There's something inside of you that says, yes, good will triumph. They will avenge. And so Nahum is, is making it clear that Yahweh is also an avenger. He doesn't just sit back and stay uninvolved, like distant, like, there's things happening here. What's going on? Why are you a part of this? That, that's not who Yahweh is. He is one that he avenges, he gets involved. But you might ponder, what or who is he avenging? Like, what's he after? What is his, his foe? And really the third word, we're going to include all together here in a second, but the third word really explains really where his anger is really towards. It's really directed one thing. And his, his, his anger is directed toward this thing called wrath. His anger 
wrath, meaning not uncontrolled anger that you might have, but it is very controlled, it is very concentrated. He exhibits wrath towards one thing, and that is sin. Sin. God's word is all over that. He is angry and wrathful towards sin. And his wrath means this. His wrath means that he intensely hates all sin. He hates it. He hates it. Exodus chapter 32, going all the way back to Exodus again. Rather the people make a golden cap to worship and bow down, listen to these words. The Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Now therefore let me alone, that my wrath may burn hot against them, and I may consume them, in order that I may make a great nation of you. Why? What's he, what's he avenging? What is his wrath directed towards? The sin of the people. How could they? Now there's a competitor for his honor and And so when we start putting all of this together, those three first words, this is kind of a summary. This is something I made up, so this is kind of a sentence here. But God hates sin. This is who he is. God hates sin and will take vengeance so that his name and character will be forever honored. That's what Nahum is telling us, is that God hates sin. He'll take vengeance as he sees fit so that his name and character will will be forever honored. So let's pause here for a moment. Let's go back to the original context, right there at the bottom, right there when Nahum is speaking these words to Ninevites and to the nation of Judah. And as I've been reading Nahum with different groups of people this week, I've paused during the reading of the first chapter, and I've asked this question. Is this good news or bad news, what Nahum is telling us? For the original context of those people, was that good news or bad news? What do you think? I see there's some indifference in the room. You're very smart. Whoever said I think it's both. Because think about this. If you were a Ninevite and you heard Nahum say these things, what were you thinking? Uh-oh. This is not good. This is not good. He has shown mercy and grace and love to us, but now there is something different that is going to happen. He is taking vengeance. He hates the sin. He is taking vengeance. He's coming after us. And so if you were a Ninevite, this is bad news. But if you are in the nation of Judah, is this good news or bad news? This is good news. Why? Oh, exactly. This is who our God is. We're looking for someone who is strong, who, who sees that there's injustice. Come, take care of your enemies. Come, do the things you need to do. This is good news for us. And so now, we now fast forward from the original context to our context, because I truly believe that this is the principle that can stand the test of time that was true 
all the way back from the time of Nahum. But this is still true today, that our God hates sin, and he will take vengeance so that his name and character will be forever honored. And so now, we're in the 21st century, living in Stowe, and Kent, and Streetsboro, and Hudson, and Cuyahoga Falls, and wherever you might live. And now I ask the same question. Is this good news? Is this good news or bad news? And the same answer is out there. Well, um, it depends, right? Because there are some who are here, some who are watching, and you are hearing these words from Nahum in the lens of someone who is like a Ninevite. You see, you're living life on your own, your own agenda. You have your own goals. You don't mind stepping on others. You're climbing. You're living the American dream. You're doing whatever it takes. Who cares who is along the way? The things of God you care less about. And so you hear these words from Nahum, and my prayer all week is that it would strike fear in you. You're hearing these words as a Ninevite in the 21st century, and there is something of fear going on. Like, oh my goodness. There is a God out there who has vengeance against sin, and he's going to make things right. He's not going to let things go. Overlook. Oh, you're such a nice person. No, he's coming after. And he will do the things he needs to do. And if you are trusting in yourself, God's word is very clear, very clear, that you will be the one who will take account of your own sin. You will have to stand before God and say, now what? And there is separation and punishment and hell and the reality that exists in God's word. God was very clear that you will be the one who will pay the penalty for your own sin in your life. He will not let that go. And so you might this morning be hearing the words of Nahum as an Ninevite, and here's actually, you know, in the original context, it was bad news. I'm actually thinking that's good news. Because there are some who are watching who are saying, Today's that day. I need to do things differently. And there's time. He uses moments like this where we pause and think differently and something about God's word that can transform us. And so even though you think like a Ninevite and you're living life like a Ninevite, this is actually good news. There is a moment here where he is calling you to something different. What is that something different? Well, you might be, I'm guessing for the vast majority who are here, you're probably hearing these words from Nahum as someone in the 21st century, like the nation of Judah, where you come and you hear these words, and it also strikes fear in you. But it's not the same kind of fear, like dread, like, oh no, I'm worried. But there is a fear that it can strike in you that's actually directed towards comfort. Yes! There's something comforting. The fear of the Lord being the beginning of wisdom. And there's something about submitting to Him and humbling yourself to Him. 
That's a good fear. And this kind of fear can bring comfort in, in a couple of ways. Let me just show you one of them. Um, one of them is in the area of comfort of the things that have happened to you. And I know there are some who are here and watching. You grew up and there was something that happened to you. There was abuse in your family. There was something that was you have been wronged. There was something really difficult you were wrestling with. I want you to hear the words of Nahum, and I want them to bring comfort to you, because here's what you need to know. Your God knows your pain. He sees what happened to you, and he will make things right. It has not been forgotten. He loves his children. He is jealous for you, and he will make things right. Now, sometimes it doesn't happen on our own scheduled time, but you need to know that our God cares deeply for his people. We can take comfort in knowing and rest in knowing that he knows about suffering and struggle and he understands where you are. When you are his child, there is comfort. Another piece of comfort that is good to know is that what I spoke of earlier, that when God hates sin and he's now taking vengeance out, you are the one, if you have a relationship with him, his vengeance is now aimed at somebody else. This is the gospel. His vengeance towards sin is not now aimed at you when you have a relationship with him. It is aimed at his son, Jesus Christ. This is, this is the gospel. This is the good news. He is the one who takes the wrath of God. And it's wonderful. It's comforting. Something you can't earn. Something you could have done on your own. But yet, through a relationship with him, by faith, Jesus Christ steps in and says, I'm, I'm taking the, the wrath and vengeance that you should be dealing with upon myself. You. Beautiful. Comfort. Comfort from the voice of Nahum. And is it ironic that the Hebrew name of Nahum means comfort? Probably not. Comfort. Beautiful, the gospel. And we even looked at it in Romans, and I want to point how this passage in Romans, again, hear it through the lens of Nahum as I read this. But God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, how much more will we be saved by him from the, you see the word there? Wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. The intense hatred of God for sin is taken upon his son, Jesus Christ. So my question at this point, as we've been pausing here, is to say, what kind of fear do the words of Nahum stir in your heart about who God really is? Is, is Nahum stirring something of Fear in a dread way, 
I've been praying that there are some who will hear it this way and turn. That today is that day you are turning towards him. For the vast majority, like I said, you're probably hearing these words. And I pray that you hear of something of comfort and reminder and, and gratefulness for who Christ is. But my real prayer is for a third category of people. Those who are sitting here, those who are watching, who are indifferent. You don't care. You're, you're more worried, like, when is this guy going to be done? You don't care. You see, my fear, my real fear, is for you. Today is that day that he wants to speak something to you. Do not ignore that. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. He's knocking on the door, wanting to enter into a deep relationship with you. All right, the first three words, jealousy, vengeance, and wrath, that's who our God is. But Nahum also has three more words. We're going to go through them a little bit quicker, but notice what he says in verse 3. All of these words in the first chapter describe the Lord is, the Lord is, the Lord is. There's six of them in the first chapter. The next one is this. The Lord is slow to anger and great in power. And the Lord will by no means clear the guilty. And then down to verse 7. The Lord is. Here's another one. The Lord is good. A stronghold in the day of trouble. He knows those who take refuge in him. Now, these words don't need as much explaining, but they help add to our understanding of God talked about by Nahum. And the fourth word is that he is a God who is slow to anger. He's patient. The first time this phrase is ever used, again, goes all the way back to Exodus. Can you imagine the moment when God's people are formulating a golden calf? And then all of a sudden he shows up and he's like, what? Remember, jealousy. <coughs> hating the sin. What are you doing? It says right there in Exodus that he was slow to anger. I'm going to give you another chance. Slow to anger. He is patient. And he still is. He's patient with his people. The fifth word. He is great in power. You see, he has the ability to do anything. He has that kind of immeasurably more that we can ask or imagine kind of power. He parts seas. He does miracles. But probably the greatest thing that he has the power to do is to change a hard heart to something that is soft. He has the power and then the final word, the sixth word, also describes who our God is. He is good. In the midst of all of this vengeance and wrath talk, you can think that he is just angry and not to lunch. But God's word reminds us that, and this word is about his morality, his compass is always in the right direction. He is trustworthy. He is good. He's always looking out for justice and peace for the sake of his glory. And so the first three words 
added to the next three words, if we're building out this phrase a little bit more, is to say this, that God hates sin and will take vengeance so that his name and character will be forever honored in patience, in power, and in goodness. This is who our God is. <coughs> what if Nahum is right? What if Nahum is right about God? And he is. He's got a lot to say to expand our understanding from the great, big, giant teddy bear in the sky. This balances out his glory, his character, and the things that he fights for of justice and his good, honoring glory. My prayer all week is that you would hear the words of Nahum and it would do something in you. What we've talked about, maybe something of fear in a good way, maybe something of fear in a way that's comforting. Maybe these words of Nahum have brought you to a point where you have greater appreciation for him. Maybe you've heard these things and they're a warning, and you're listening, and this is the moment he's calling you into a relationship with him. Whatever these things are, may we hear the little prophet Nahum speaking to us today. Well, as we close, I want to read from the very last book of the Bible. And I want you to see themes of Nahum in the book of Revelation. I think a lot of times we think, oh, the Old Testament is just like that, and the New Testament is so different. I want you to see that where this story is headed of, of God's wrath and justice and his fight for his people is the rich, rich end that we are all headed towards. Just listen to these words out of Revelation Chapter 19. Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. And from his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Let's pray together. Dear God, we come and we humble ourselves before your word and listen to this little voice from the Old Testament has big things to say about who you are. To expand our, our understanding of who you are. 
We thank you for the moment we could pause our lives to hear the things that you are speaking to us. I pray that you would be open. We have ears to hear. We have hearts that are open to hearing the things of man this morning. We give you thanks for all this. We pray this by the power of your Son's name. Amen.